Hello. We've been expecting you. I'd like to welcome you to Thoughts from Aunt Wu, the Avatar podcast where we know the future. Today we will be discussing Book 1, Episode 6, Imprisoned. Today on our panel we have Lindsay. Hey! Charles. Hey. And I am not Corey. <laughs> Corey is not here, and we are very mad at him. So everyone say really mean things to him on Twitter, because we should. However, we are now going to get into this episode uh, with our initial thoughts. So, Lindsay, you were not here last time, so everyone's been missing your voice. So, Lindsay, why don't you kick us off with your initial thoughts? Okay. So, I'm not going to lie. I was never a huge fan of this episode, and I'm still not a huge fan of it. It just... Something about it just never really connected with me. I feel like it's, like, so... I don't know. Like, it doesn't totally have a point to it, I feel, and... I don't know, I'm just not really a big fan of it. I think it's an interesting uh, way of showing the conflict between, like, Earthbenders and the Fire Nation, and it shows, like, the more, kind of like how you were in your notes, Mark, like, the more, like, mafia-inspired side to it. So it definitely shows, like, um, the relationship between it, but other than that, I'm just, like, I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of it, unfortunately. <laughs> All right. Charles, go ahead. I actually like the episode a pretty good amount. Um, I mean, you could argue that in terms of, like, the overall plot, it doesn't really do much other than, you know, give you more in the state of the world and Mm -hmm. uh, move Katara's necklace to Zuko. But um, that aside, I I always found it nice how they take uh, moments to show you how different parts of the world were dealing with the Fire Nation. Like, you know that uh, at the South Pole, all of the men of age have gone off to fight. You're off to with basically children, women, and elderly. Um, but you don't really... And Kyoshi's, like, out of the war, so you see it's, like, not really impacted. Omashu is pretty unaffected, other than the fact that they've got, like, standing military. And here it's like, well, this is what it'd be like for people, a lot of other people. Maybe they are nomads if they still existed too, but, mm. um, yeah. I, I think what, uh, the weird thing, I guess, here is that, like, it's not, you, you could take out Aang and arguably Sokka from this entire episode, and <laughs> yeah. pretty much nothing would change. Yeah, so that actually. Part little, that part is a little awkward, but. Outside that, I, I still generally like it. Okay, um, so what's interesting, Lindsay, is I completely agreed with you when I watched this episode a long time ago. I thought mm-hmm. this episode was, all right, it's kind of like, okay, we get to see Katara as, like, the Hope speech girl, and it's okay, and it's, you know, we see a few things here and there, but to be honest, pretty, you know, meaningless episode, not that big a deal. This episode has completely changed for me, and I, I suddenly feel like this episode is one of the most interesting episodes um, that we've talked about. Um, right off the bat, this is a children's television show discussing concentration camps. I mean, there's just no way around it. This is a concentration camp. It might not be Auschwitz. It might not be a death camp. But these are people being put in a camp exclusively because of who they mm-hmm. are and forced to basically live in, in terrible living conditions. Yeah, they, and that's just... they are working labor camps. Yes, and that's just, you know, something that's so terif- you know so terrifying, so terrible to see. Um, the other thing is, I think that until I understood Katara's entire 
life in terms of what happened with her mother, I never appreciated why she was so gung-ho about having to help this, this situation. But once I understand Katara's guilt, it suddenly makes perfect sense that she's acting like this. And I think that this episode is probably the first so far that has really fundamentally changed for me from where I was many years ago first watching it compared to where I am now. Um, and it's interesting that you, that Lindsay, you feel that way. Cause I think it kind of helps out cause it'll, it'll kind of give a feeling of like, that's to some degree. It seems like what Lindsay thinks is what is what used to be my opinion. And then mm-hmm. you can kind of hear what I, what I have to say now. Um, just like with last week with, uh, Char- uh, with Corey not being here, I will read Corey's thoughts and his rating at the end of the episode. So if you are specifically, uh, particularly invested in what Corey has to say, you will get some of his, his thoughts here, but, um, you will not, you'll not be hearing his voice. Um, or any of the wrong things that he typically has to say. <laughs> Whoa, harsh um, words there. <laughs> well, you know. Shots fired. I can make fun of him. <laughs> All right. So uh, with that, we're going to get into our episode discussion. Um, and I think that, to be honest, the start of this episode, you know, we have a little bit of comedy here with the nuts for dinner, which which was funny. And, you know, Mo- Momo with the, you know, it looks like he's being yeah. having superpowers <laughs> was kind of funny. Um, but obviously this episode really begins when, when they meet Haru and go in to uh, see the, the village that uh, Haru lives in. And another, you know, this is another chance we get another new location. And again, it looks a little bit different from anything we've seen. I mean, it's it's similar to Kiyoshi Island in terms of like urban sprawl, mm-hmm. but it does have a very different feel to it compared to what we saw in Kiyoshi. Um, and this is the first place we've seen that's truly controlled by the Fire Nation. And I just love how much they've ca- they capture the depression in this area right away. You can the moment you walk in, the moment uh, the gang walks in and sees everything, you can see how depressed and how just downtrodden this area is because of the the Fire Nation being here. And I really I really like that they're just able to capture that very quickly without having to do. There's no real dialogue on it. It's just a feel that I get, and I like that a lot. Yeah, I, de- I definitely agree with you. It um, It's definitely a different kind of... It's a similar setting from what we've seen previously, but again, that whole emotional side of it, like, it's definitely not the happy, fun place Kyoshi was. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely... It, it kind of leads up to what we're going to see later. Like, clearly these people are living in fear and, like, constant, like... Almost like, as we see later on, like, backstabbing. Like, anyone can betray you. Even mm-hmm. the old man yeah. that Haru was nice enough to save. Hashtag yeah, ungrateful. That. <laughs> yeah, that, that, yeah, that dick. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, you brought up the concentration camp uh, analogy before, and if anything, this kind of reminds me of how the Japanese were treated on the West Coast during world, the Second World War. Yeah, the internment mm-hmm. camps? Yeah, it's not quite. Oh, we're shipping you off to mass to get mass murdered in, in you know, mm-hmm. like in Auschwitz. But it's like we're going to round all of you up and strictly control your actions. And sometimes we're gonna we're gonna get false positives everywhere. Mm. And um, yeah, you know, I mean, clearly in this case they they weren't for the Fire Nation. But I'd make the counter argument. I mean, I'd also say like they probably didn't, you know, deserve to live like the way they did, completely mm. oppressed and downtrodden. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
I, I agree. And I just think that, I mean, this episode was, to me, was just such a gut punch. And I mean, yeah, we had the, we obviously, we had the genocidal moment with um, the airbenders back in episode three. Um, but I think there's just something to seeing living people being put in this position that really, really hurts. And we'll, we'll get into that when we get to the, the actual prison, um, prison itself. Um, the one other thing I want to say is, is kind of gets back to something, an argument that we had uh, back during Omashu um, that, um, and Corey unfortunately is not here, so we can't have him because he was the one discussing this, but he was saying how Omashu, you don't feel like there's a war going on, it feel, everything seems a lot happier, and I think that this is a, was a really nice just, juxtaposition compared to that, where you had Omashu, which is this city that's outside the Fire Nation, mm. things are pretty good. Now we see things are not very good, and I think that that was a really nice just, juxtaposition by them to um to do that um another thing that i really want to touch on because obviously this was katara's episode um in many ways this you know I, i've talked about how kiyoshi was the the introduction to Sokka's character arc um the uh the third episode was the introduction to um zuko's character arc in many ways this is Sokka. this is katara's chance i i do think that she was the most explained back in in, in episodes one and two other than ang um, so I don't know if this is full, I would say her start, because she really did start earlier on, but this is obviously her episode, um, and I think that it, it really is kicked off well with the fight between Katara and Haru's mother, and what I love about this fight is that it's a fight between people who are coming from very different perspectives and very different um, points in their lives, where you have a mother whose entire concern is protecting her child and is being forced to live in subjugation, is in terrible shape, and as a result, has almost no hope and therefore is saying, look, Haru, don't earthbend, just live your life and we will survive until the Fire Nation leaves or until something changes and that's that. While on the other hand, you have Katara who's young, who is um, trying, you know, who thinks that you need to you need to embrace your culture, embrace you who you are. And what I like about it is neither one is wrong, neither one is right. Mm. It just it really depends on a what do you think personally is the right thing to do in this situation and b what perspective you want to come from and and i just i really enjoy that because it's not this it's not like they make haru's mother out to be this like cold person who doesn't know anything like she has a very legitimate point but at the same time katara has a really good point and i, I like i love when they can when a show can encapsulate two characters fighting and not make one ridiculous mm-hmm. yeah it definitely was also like just a good demonstration i feel like of different perspectives too like it as you said like it doesn't make one of them the villain in this type of case it shows the different logic towards each argument and it's it's definitely a good way especially of showing um like even further the fighting spirit that we'll see in guitar later on like the hope aspect of her mm-hmm. i i thought that they did this part of the episode well in contrasting their opinions but uh, looking back at the episode as a whole it's kind of subliminal is not the right word but they're like the implication is pretty heavy that guitar is kind of right in the writers of the show's eyes because here in this instance like in this um Mm -hmm. in this specific scene they're both, you know, it's clear that both have a good point and both are valid. But then Katara's lot, you know, her argument works out in the end. And I feel like it was kind of shoehorning in a this is right, or at least in the context of the Avatar world, that that was right. And personally, I can't say that in 
perhaps in real life that that might have been correct. Like maybe I'm... there is like really something to keeping your head down until like the oppressors are you know, defeated or moved away or maybe just fleeing from them entirely. Hell, like that's what happened in China when the communists took over. Mm. Like in tons of people fled to Hong Kong and then to the rest of the world. And I mean, it does. It does end up what happening in Omashu later on. Yeah. Um, so it's not like the Avatar is completely immune to that. I I see what you're saying, but I think that the fact that Haru does get taken is supposed to be some validity to the mother's argument. And I think that I guess I guess my point is not so much that they they made both of them equal, but that I I feel like in another show they would have made Haru's mother like. Oh, so over the top that we would have immediately looked at her and said, "Yep, she's ridiculous. No one should should act like that." But I feel like they they understood what she was trying to say, and that they didn't they didn't go parody with her. And that's, mm-hmm. I guess, what I'm trying to say. All right, I mean that's fair enough. She, it's not like yeah, you're right. She, it's not like she's, uh, you know, out of it, like it makes sense what she's saying. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, the other big thing I like about the opening is, um, you know, we're getting, we're getting a little bit more of seeing the Fire Nation oppress another nation's culture and other nation's people. And, and, uh, Lindsay mentioned earlier that in, you know, in my notes, I mentioned the mafia scene with, uh, you know, the guy coming in and sort of asking for protect, you know, what is basically protection money, but it's at the same time is under the auspice of attacks, um, which I think is just, it's, it's a nice touch of sort of adding, you know, yeah, the Fire Nation is, is pillaging resources. They're, um, you know, just you know, trying to sort of suppress this this culture um, in a very sort of imperialist, almost you know, like European imperialist, or even you know, as as Charles has said a lot with the Japanese during World War II. Um, I think that's a nice touch because it gives just a little bit more depth to that. Because I think that one of the things I, I think we kind of mentioned this a little bit um, so far is that other than Ang tell like you know Katara telling us. We don't have that much of a good idea of, like, why is the Fire Nation that bad, but we're kind of getting a chance here to really see it, like, oh, mm-hmm. they're actually terrible people, and, and, and what they've done has really hurt people's lives, yeah. and I think that we're obviously, the, the main part of that is is the, the prison camps that we're going to see later, but I think that just getting a chance to see, like, what they are from a, from a cultural perspective, that they're also just destroying cultures is really um, nice for a, um, to, to sort of add add more depth to why the Fire Nation is such a such a terrible force. Yeah, and I, f- I feel like, uh, kind of going off of that, like, we've obviously seen, like, the negative effects of the Fire Nation throughout all the episodes, essentially, we've already, like, been through. But then, this really is interesting one, especially in which it directly places the three main characters in experiencing it firsthand. Like, they, like, Katara physically gets arrested and goes to where they're being kept. They experience this whole thing together. And so I really feel like that also is an interesting experience for them. Because they've clearly, they've seen it, they've heard about it. And then we as an audience see them experience this type of uh, environment and behavior from the Fire Nation. Yeah. So... Now we move on. Obviously, the uh, the scene with the old man and and, and Haru saving him. Um, I hate him. Obviously, we talked a lot so about... much. Like, I mean, okay, no, no. I need a vent yeah. here. Okay. All right. 
We're, you, we're gonna have a Lindsay vent session. Okay. So let's let Lindsay vent. Dear old man, you were about to die and have your insides essentially like crushed. And here comes like these two young people and they were working to save you. And oh my god, look, you got saved. Yay, you're alive. Oh, but you know what? That one guy's a fire, uh, is an earthbender. So you're just gonna go report him? Like, what the fuck, man? Like, that's horrible karma. The guy, goddamn, saved your life and you're just like, oh, well, you know what? I'm gonna go get the punish to arrest the young person like no that's such a dick move and i hope that like honestly like haru when he gets back tells his mom all about it and the mom's like gonna tell everyone in town and then he's gonna get exiled for being like a dick all right um, okay that, that i know <laughs> i i end Lindsay rant I guess. yeah thanks I, I know i i made i made the i made the, the dick comment earlier and that was to be honest was a joke um, I actually like that. I think it's a very is, is an important touch um, in terms of selling off a yeah. just how threatening the Fire Nation actually is. That someone this guy feels like he doesn't have a choice but to obey, even for someone who saved his life. Yeah, I know. And <laughs> B, I think that judging from what we've seen, I don't think Haru or Peru's father would actually get upset. I think that they would say, okay, we understand mm-hmm. what terrible choice that you were put in. We understand it. We'll move on and it's okay. Um, no, I, and obviously the thing is, I understand exactly like that's just me. Cause I believe I want everyone in the world to get along and be nice. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Unfortunately, everything changed when the fire nation attacked. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> Um, and yeah, so that's, that's our, I guess that's our old man. Little I would just piece. probably sell him moldy bread for a while and be like, oh, sorry. That's all we have left today. Mm. So <laughs> then Haru gets captured, um, or gets taken away and they find out. And I mentioned earlier at the top, uh, about Katara and this, this is where I'm going to really get into that. This is what made this episode change for me from, you know, a kind of okay sort of fillery episode to just a, a super important episode for Katara's development and who she is. Because once I realized the circumstances of Kaya's death and how Katara didn't need to, that, that she didn't need to die, she died protecting Katara completely, I understand that Katara feels a lot of survivor's guilt and a lot of just in general guilt that her mother died for her and she didn't have to. And I can now completely understand why Katara is so hell-bent on getting Haru back because it's another moment where she convinced Haru to Earthbend. Mm-hmm. She was the one who pushed him to do it. And she feels like, I've ruined and I've, I've destroyed another person's life and I need to do everything I can to stop that. And then on top of that, she feels a ton of kinship with a fellow bender who has not been able to learn what they want to learn because of the fire nation and has lost a parent because of the fire nation and she so as a result she already has this this relationship with haru and then you have add all this guilt on top of it and suddenly katara's actions go from what i thought was oh katara's the hope speech friend person who who's needs to save everyone and to some degree the parody that she is in ember island players yeah. that we'll talk about you know a long time from now and then I realized, no, there's a reason for it. She's much more than that. This is a much deeper thing. And that I really 
I really respect how well they thought out Katara's character and kept her from being to they kept her from being one note and made her uh, give her a ton of depth. Damn, you're giving the writers a lot of credit. I honestly thought they just back wrote that story in so that this would all make sense in context. <laughs> That's understandable. And maybe they did, maybe they didn't. I don't know what was planned and what wasn't. I mean, I know there obviously we know some things from you know from commentaries and stuff they've written. But the way I'm the way I'm taking a look at this show is because obviously we're rewatching, obviously we're where everything is 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 out there. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. If something legitimately makes sense and works, I'm going to give them the benefit and say, you know what? Either they planned this out from the beginning and they were and this was perfect, or they didn't plan it out. They looked at a scene like this, they looked at Katara's character and said, you know, in order to make this character good, we have to make sure her backstory works and then told the backstory. And either way, it makes the makes this scene really enjoyable for me. Um, all right. So another interesting little tidbit in this episode is this is our first little uh, Sokka plan. Um, we're gonna we're gonna have many times where Sokka is obviously the idea guy, uh, and this is our first first chance for him to really come up with something interesting. And um, that was fun to kind of you know look back early on at, at his his fake earthbending, um, which is great. And that being said, I. Charles mentioned this, and I'm going to say this now. Aang was completely meaningless in this episode. He had absolutely no reason to even be there. Um, he's, you know, goofing off, and then, oh, Katara's, like, getting arrested is fun. He's like, yeah, it's a ton of fun. And and, and I just, the thing that bothers, the one thing about that that bothers me is that this should be one of those, like, gut punch moments, as it is for me as an audience, for Aang of, like, wow. The world's pretty fucked up. I need to, to fix it. Mm -hmm. And no, Aang just doesn't even remotely care. The only reason they're here is because Katara wants to be, and that's it. And that and wasn't I understand it. I understand Aang's character arc. I'm just it's a little moment of like Aang. Yeah, yeah like <sighs> e on. even when that plan was in action, wasn't it delayed specifically because he was playing with a leaf? Yes. And I was like, what the fuck, yes, Aang? Was. Like, they had it all planned out, they had their horrible acting done, they were waiting on you, like... And you're just like, oh, wow, look at this leaf, guys. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I don't <laughs> know. So, so, Aang, you need to step up your game. And you're not going to for a long time, because I know it, but <laughs> you need to step up. You're just, you're failing at being the avatar. Get your shit I mean, together. No, but you know, in, in defense of Aang, there, there have been avatars prior to him that were just as um, spacey. That is true, and then they got their girlfriend's face stolen. <laughs> I mean, there's that. There's <laughs> Mr. I will go live in the spirit wild avatar and fuck the rest of humanity until I'm done with my shit. There's... Um, yeah. But since the ones we have most exposure to are Aang and the typical comparison are comparisons are probably to Roku and Korra. I can see where yes. that comes from, because both of them were, like, super, the super responsible type. Well, I don't know about responsible and Korra, but... Yeah. Um, no, but... Like, <laughs> yes. think yeah, of I'm it... Not, I don't want to start bashing Korra right now. Come on, <laughs> In fairness, I just happened to have watched, like, most of book two of Korra with a friend this, this weekend, and... 
Well, we'll talk about my thoughts on book two years from now. <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong with Korra in book two? Everything. No, not right now. No, it's no. anyway. Th- this Earth Kingdom, man. Back to Aang. Um, yes. No, I like I said. I under I, to some degree. I joke. To some degree, I'm kind of I'm I'm kind of making fun of Aang, and I I think it has a purpose. I think that Aang acting like this is 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 completely fine for what they're trying to do with his character. It's just very clear that he just does. He does not recognize how how bad the situation is in a way that Katara does. That's all I'm saying. I mean, that's fair. And, like, we talked about this in the first episode, but, like, she and pretty much all the other characters have grown up in this world and have been affected literally every day of their lives. And so, you know, that's been beaten into them, basically. Um, Mm -hmm. He's, what, a week? We're a week into this for Aang? Two weeks? No, we gotta be a little longer than that. Maybe a month. I I lose track of travel times pretty quickly. They, yeah, then, that's one thing they don't do. They do not establish travel times very well at all uh, yeah. until there's like until other than like demarcation because of solstices and um, equinoxes, there just really is not much time. Yeah. Okay, so we're. I'll be generous and say like a month and a half into. <laughs> Aang being exposed to the, you know, this world again. And most of it is from on top of the clouds and this bison, so that doesn't really help. Um, yeah. It's been pretty easy for him to pretend, you know, that there isn't that much bad with the world. Especially since, like, on Kyoshi in Omashu, things weren't that bad. Well, I mean, in Omashu they weren't bad at all, and in Kyoshi they weren't bad until Zuko came started fucking shit up but yeah no no i i I completely agree i think that i think it has a purpose i understand why ang is this way it just it just it just is a note that you have you have katara being like very we need to help these people we need to help these people and ang is like well you know let's go play with a leaf um on that note though i i will say i really like how much humor they were able to weave into into an episode that was so heavy and so um had so much emotion because obviously this is for me at least is a very emotional episode. But the the fake earthbending scene for me was was really funny, um, and I and I really I liked that they weren't afraid to have a, a humorous scene, kind of punk you know split in between the emotion of Haru leaving and then the really like depressing scene of seeing the the jail when they first get there. You have this very funny scene in between, and I think it does great for the pacing. And I'm just again, it's one of those moments where I I'm impressed that they weren't afraid of. Well, if we have humor here, people are going to think this episode is a joke. It it, it it keeps the episode light while it doesn't detract from how um, from how dark the 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 overall uh, tone of the episode is. So when we get to the prison, uh, another example, just an establishing shot that is awesome. Uh, the prison establishing shot, it looks exactly like what it should. It's this giant metal rig that you clearly can't earthbend on. I, I, I love how well they they play the establishing shot. Mm-hmm. And then from just at the very beginning, I, I like the prison warden. I think that he's entertaining and he... Uh, encapsulates what he should be of this of this incredibly cruel, incredibly sort of awful human being who who has no self awareness, who clearly does not think that he's a bad person, but 
just is. Um, and it, it foreshadows, foreshadows very well when we get to Boiling Rock in book three with the warden there of a similar kind of person who is just, you know, this this really terrible human being, but without any self-awareness of it and therefore is so um, kind of as an extra dynamic of, of, of cruelty. Mm-hmm. Either of you, anything on on either of those things? Um, I, I thought it was kind of interesting about um, how the entire rig is made of metal, and then of course we know later on in the series, especially with Toph, and then later on in the Legend of Korra, like they metal bend. But <laughs> even at one point, I think it was either Sakura Katara, like, "What do you mean this whole place is made of metal?" And it was just like a wonderful hint to what's going to come later on in the series. Like they're not going to just earth bend. They're, they're going to like metal bend too. Cause they're going to recognize that as like one of their sources of power. Yes. Um, there's a, there's a later line uh, where Ang says what I'd give to be a metal bender. That's kind of a joke. And mm-hmm. then a few episodes later, Toph's like, I invented metal bending. <laughs> <laughs> I miss Toph. Soon. Not, not really soon, but eventually. <laughs> yes. Um, no, yeah, I, I think that's true, uh, and I, and but it, it, it really does. It, it helps. It adds this layer of you can you can see why this is such a such a depressing place. Um, and then once again, when as soon as we get onto the ship, and I said this at the start with uh, the town, but you can easily see how just genuinely sad and genuinely depressed these these people are. Um, and to be honest, the word that I have to use is these are broken. These men are broken. Mm. There's no, or not just men. These men and women are broken. They're, they are j- just waiting for something to change. There's no, they have no initiative. They have no desire to do anything but sit around and wait. And, you know, the, the, the scene with um, where where the, the, the guy goes to Haru's father and says, you know, we need more blankets and Haru's father's like, we just need to endure it. We're going to have to hope for, for, for warmer weather. There, There's no even idea, you know, even something as small as a blanket is just seen as, well, maybe it'll get better, but probably not. And I, I think that it, it, it encapsulates just how bad this war is and how much the, um, how much the Fire Nation has completely just destroyed these people's lives. Yeah, definitely. It shows, like, a despair and hopelessness to them. And it definitely kind of, like, makes you consider, like, what these people have actually been through. Like, I feel like, Mm -hmm. um... Because I feel like with someone like Haru's father, like, he's not the type when you first, like, even meet him to, like... He's clearly a man that takes initiative, he takes charge of the situation, like, he's taking care of all these people. So then, to see him be like, it's hopeless, like, we can't do anything. I'm kind of curious, though... To see like what kind of attempts are happening in the past, you know what I mean? To break people so badly like this. Yeah, I, kind I of think makes that's me an interesting question. Curious about it, yeah. Yeah, um, and obviously we do get a, a much deeper look in, into the inside of a prison in Boiling Rock. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that what for me at least that also t- ties very well together with this episode because this is our first chance to. To see, do we sort of see the, the beginnings of a prison, and then we're going to spend you know almost two full episodes in one later on, um, and we do see some of the things that they they put people through. Although that was mostly firebenders that they were, uh, with things like the cooler and mm-hmm. um, 
and, and that kind of stuff. But I do think that it, it showed how how terrible these prisons can actually be. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, they pretty much got Stockholmed. It wasn't like quite like it's to the point where they were allying themselves with the Fire Nation or anything. Although that would have made a pretty interesting premise now that I think about it. But, uh, Let's write to the writers. <laughs> yeah. I, think there's some, I think there's some fan fiction there. Ooh. <laughs> Reboot Avatar. That half <laughs> of the Nerf, Earth Nation uh, decides to... Well, decide. the Dali. Mm-hmm. But I mean, like, actually half. No, I know. I'm just, I'm just saying, it's not like, unprecedented. Like, Omashu is the only Earth Kingdom city that is, or something extreme like that. Um... But yeah, it's I mean, they don't... Boom the world. But so that, that to me, actually makes it uh, kind of surprising that they had... I mean, I guess in the context of a show that you have to do it that way. But it made it kind of surprising that they had Katara, like, kind of completely overturn... Or completely change these people's attitudes over the course of what can be at most a few days. With no, it was, it's a, It's not even a that day. That was an overnight we, right that's there. That's one thing we know. It was overnight. Wait, that's that's two days? It was one day, they, and then a night, and then another day. Then viva la revolution. <laughs> no, but like, seriously, right? They've been oppressed for So years, long, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, drilled into them that this is yeah. the situation, and all of us one day with one person oh no i i i completely understand what you're saying one little waterbender just shows up that's one thing that used to really upset me was like how quickly katara's hope speech just yep immediately everything's good that annoys me and and it's and that still does i you know katara overall you know obviously changed a lot for me in this episode that's one thing i will i will give you It, it doesn't it really doesn't make that much sense, and it, it does undercut just how, like, terrible they must feel because it really didn't take much for them to get back up and, and start fighting. Um, but I think that that, to me, that was a very, like, well, we kind of needed to wrap this thing up. We weren't going to spend three, four episodes here, so, well, happy ending, cool. Which, no, I don't I don't like. It's not great, but, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like no, I, I, I get that. Like they had to do it because in the context of the show, but still it mm. Like you yeah. just said it, right? They're so depressed they won't even ask for blankets and then all of a sudden after one speech they're throwing their captures off the boat. Two, two speeches. Sorry, two sorry. Speeches. <laughs> sorry. That's right. Let's double the amount of <laughs> double the <laughs> completely changed for you. You thought it was one speech. It's, it's two. two. Speech. Sorry, I, I forgot. I forgot. Double First. the inspiration and hope. No, but seriously, like mm-hmm. it, it's kind of uh, contrived. Yes, I, I, I would I would do that. Um, what uh, speaking though of 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 the speeches, specifically the first one, I like that the warden lets Katara speak up mm-hmm. because you can tell he does not have any. He know he's like yeah, these people are broken. There's no chance they're ever gonna do anything. Yeah, let the girl talk. She'll talk herself out, and then she'll be just as broken as well. And I like mm-hmm. I like that you can see that the, 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 in, rather than the warden being like 
oh, I'm going to I'm gonna just immediately jump in and stop this. Instead, he's like, no, let her talk. She's no threat to us. And I, that I think, I like that, although in the end it doesn't work and, and you know, it is a little yeah. ridiculous. But that's fine. Um, another thing I will say, though, is uh, it, some somewhat kind of backtracking a little bit of what I said, and I, not, it doesn't take away from it, but I think that it is a nice parallel, is next season when we get to Omashu and Boomi explains neutral jig, which is the key to earthbending, there is some of that, you know, waiting, listening, not doing anything, um, which you can kind of see as, as the attitude you're getting a little bit mm. from, from the earthbenders, and I think that it does make sense that earthbenders being backed into a corner are going to sort of retreat into this, well, we're just going to endure, which is some you can kind of make sense. It kind of makes sense with with like the way earthbenders are and stubborn and rocks and we'll, we'll we will we will wait. We'll you know wait for something to change, and once something changes, we will find the right moment to strike. Which I do think you can you can kind of view this as as a, a extremely accelerated version of that. That they waited for their moment, and then the call came, and then that was their moment to strike. They got the call, and then they struck. Mm. Little bit, obviously, a little bit of a stretch and a little bit like, okay, I'm, I might be reading way too far into this, but what is the beauty of a of a, of a podcast if not to read really far into these things? <laughs> <laughs> so true. Yeah, I mean, you're right. There is um, there is that element to it, and when Toph uh, is teaching Aang, you get similar themes or similar thoughts. Like to be more, she keeps calling him fucking Twinkle because he's not uh, still enough. But I mean, there's like, yeah, it's part of being an Earthbender, and then there's like, well, it's just also getting beat down by you. I mean, remember that most of these people are adults; so they've experienced the war for way longer than our main cast has. Mm-hmm. Um, and I. Yeah, I, I guess. I, I guess it makes sense that they would move if there was an opportunity. Yeah, I, I I don't put a ton of stock in what in, into what I just said. I think that it's it just it just a, it's just a parallel that that I, I kind of thought of, um, and I, I it, it at least at least some it, it just kind of a small it's obviously a small little thing. Um, so obviously they they we get our we get our second soccer plan. Um, which once again really really love seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Sako is obviously not that that big a deal in this episode, but you know, I, I like that he contributed his roles. And in general, I, the thing that the reason Sako plans I think are, are so are so important for me is they give once again give depth to him as as obviously the kind of comic relief character he's for the most part not supposed to be that serious, but. Every once in a while, he ha- he's the one with the really smart ideas. He's the one who, say, reads the maps and does all this stuff. And that is important for me because it means that I'm not totally tuned out when Ta- Sokka has something to say, although I'm expecting it might very well be hilarious. And when it's hilarious, mm-hmm. it's great and I can laugh. And when it's actually important, I can say, okay, it's important and, 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 and means something. And too often, I think comic relief characters never have something interesting to say. They're only there to make a joke. And then I have no real reason to pay attention to them unless I'm just just looking for a laugh. Yeah, it definitely kind of shows like a like a dual side of characterization. Like he's not just the planner of the group and he's not just the comic relief. Like he does play a both. And it kind of also shows even like 
kind of even like just how people are like it's he's not like people are complex like there's always different sides to characterization of people in everyday life so to see that in a cartoon character like that he's not just like pigeonholed to have like one type of personality i think that's like one of the most interesting features of the show is that they they have really deep characterization of all the characters Mm mm-hmm Yeah, I mean, yep. it's done really well. Um, I also like that, and we see this throughout the series, Sokka's a constant reminder of why just or what you call the average people are important. He's got no special abilities. He's uh, bright, but not, like, super smart as compared to, say, other people we meet. Um his martial art is arguably about average mm. i mean this is like way later but when he goes to Piandao for training it's not like he's you know a master swordsman <laughs> no. after that right yeah and you, and Piandao's like what stood out to me wasn't your skill it was your creative your ingenuity no it definitely wasn't your skill <laughs> <laughs> so you know, but I, I'm glad that, you know, like you said, they add that into it, because you're right, they could have thrown him away as just a comic relief character and done nothing else with that, but the fact that he, they emphasize that he's an ingenious over, you know, like, a good portion of the episodes he's in, um, really mm-hmm. has us keep paying attention to him, and that really pays off when they start to fall, like, when they, in book three, when his character is, like, more pretty developed he's like really mature at that point or significantly more mature yeah no i think i yeah i agree i agree everything um about that um the episode ends with the with the uh, earthbenders fighting off the warden not nothing special with this fight it you know it looks good it was entertaining but nothing um, compared to the ones we've seen the last couple of episodes, not nothing particularly special there. Um, what I do like and find interesting is uh, we go back to um, Aang being the Avatar when when Haru's leaving. Um, Haru says, "Oh, is, is is he really the Avatar?" Uh, and earlier on, when in one of Katara's hope speeches, she she mentioned as well, "The Avatar has returned. He's gonna he's gonna solve these problems." And I think it's interesting that you can see other people looking at Aang and, and saying, "Yeah, he's gonna he's gonna save the world. He's gonna he's gonna fix all these problems." When Aang is completely uninterested in it, and I think it's just interesting that Aang is. Um, people feel the, the way Aang sees himself and the way the world sees Aang is completely different, mm-hmm. and I think it's going to stay different for for quite a while. Yeah, because he's not going to really accept that whole role as the Avatar for a while, as we have, like, I think repeatedly said in every episode. <laughs> every single episode. Common theme. <laughs> almost as if Aang is the main... It's almost as if Aang is the main character. What? No. <laughs> Spoiler. I thought the main Stop. character was the Cabbage Man. Oh, yes. Lindsay wants a moment to discuss the Cabbage Man, who apparently we neglected too much last week in her absence. I, I'm sorry. It's just, it's the Cabbage Man, and he showed <laughs> up for the first time of many times to come, and he's going to be such like a cool character that just comes back all the time, and he plays a key role in Legend of Korra with Cabbage Core. Well, 
key role is. It's a key role, okay? Him and his cabbages were plotting. (laughs) It shows a shift of characterization from innocent farm man at Omashu to um, trying to essentially dethrone the Avatar because of his hatred of the Avatar destroying the cabbages. So it shows uh, intense, deep characterization and um, shift of morals in cabbage society. Yes, and hunk of junk uh, air. Yes, okay, I'm done with Cabbage Man. I just love him. <laughs> um, Thank you. <laughs> all right, so the episode, the, yeah, the episode obviously ends with Zuko uh, and the necklace. And I, a question I want to pose to both of you, uh, and this is less about this episode mm-hmm. and more about just storytelling and TV episodes in general. Do you like that this scene exists? Because in many ways, this scene has almost nothing to do with the entire episode. I know technically it's in the right location and, and, and the necklace, but for the most part, this is purely there to set up future events. Do you think that that in any way detracts from this episode, that it's kind of like 22 minutes of, of, of plot and then two minutes of basically an epilogue where that has nothing to, almost nothing to do with this episode? Or do you think that that's totally fine and it sets up future things so it's no big deal? I don't really see a problem with it. I mean, the only problem I have with it is um, just the idea of of Zuko finding this necklace and automatically knowing, like, ah, yes, this is, belongs to that girl that was with the Avatar. Like, how well has he actually seen Katara, like, up close, knowing, ah, yes, this is a necklace. Like, that's what bothers me the most. Well, well you're the Zutara shipper here. Well, listen, they haven't gotten one-on-one time yet, okay? <laughs> <laughs> They haven't bonded yet. That's what that's what that's what the pirates. Okay, that's when I started shipping them. <laughs> the pirates is when you started. Yes. Fuck. <laughs> he's like, I'll protect you from the pirates. And I was like, Ah, yeah, he's gonna protect her. What? The? Okay, we'll we'll discuss. We'll that get later. to that I'm later. Not, but not. yeah, that was my only qualm with it. But I really had no problem with him like finding the necklace and like kind of like having the feeling of like I'm on the right trail. Like I'm I'm gonna get him. Yeah, no, not if this isn't really specifically about like why do you feel about him finding the, necla- ne- the necklace, and more about this kind of like la- like last five seconds, completely different, like telling a, almost a completely different story. No, I, don't, I don't really see a problem with it though, because it kind of reminds us, like, kind of takes us back from like what already happened to what the main thing is going to is. You know what I mean? Yeah, kind of like redirects us back to staying on focus and reminding us of what's happening. Yeah. Charles? Yeah, I'm, I'm fine with it. I mean, Avatar does some episodes that are really split up, too. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't all focus on, say, one specific plot point, and there's a lot of, like... I think we talked about this at the very beginning, too. There's a lot of things that, you know, they'll bring up that point to episodes sometimes deep in the future, sometimes just a little bit ahead. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm completely fine with it. In some shows, it's not done well. Like, they spend too much time on it, or it's too extreme a contrast. Or, like, there's no... It almost doesn't tie into the current episode at all. It's just, like, someone in a undisclosed location that has nothing to do with the place. You know, it's the kind of um, forward-looking stuff I dislike. Things like this, where it's like, well, the location kind of makes sense, and it does serve a point. Yeah, I'm, I'm fine. Also, in Zuko's yeah. defense, I mean, how many fucking Water Nation people has he seen at this point? 
It's probably a decent assumption to assume that it's hers. I, I know, I guess. It's just, though, like, I don't know. It just, that part seemed a little convoluted to me. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just detail-oriented um, about that, though. You know, I, I, I kind of, I, I think it makes a little, like, understand what Lindsay's saying. Like, obviously, we know it's her necklace, and obviously, we know that she lost it, so it's very quick to be like, oh, yeah, of course, that's her necklace. I, Zuko knowing it immediately does feel a little, like, I, 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 I'll buy it. It's not terrible, but mm-hmm. there is a little of me like, yeah, wait, really? Um, you also have to ask a question of, like, why is it that Zuko, like, pol- from a political perspective, how come Zuko can just walk into this Fire Nation prison and order people around when he's been banished but that's a discussion for i don't know that's i don't know i don't want to get into that too detailed here um because he's got but, iroh standing behind him scary, that's true scary. you are right iroh it's, it's is the wind iroh. beneath his wings oh deep <laughs> yeah um yeah no but the, the point i was making i just i i don't think it's that bad in this episode and in general i don't think it's terrible but I, but I do think that you can you can make the argument that this episode most logically ends with them flying away, mm-hmm. and the scene with, with with Zuko finding the necklace could easily have been put in later, on, you know, in the, sort of in this in the start of the next episode. And I think that it it kind of I don't think it takes away from the episode. I think it's fine. Uh, but there are there are other times. I don't know so much about this show, but I think what Charles said with with other shows where where you can just kind of break the break the break the end of an episode by trying to add something in that is setting up for for next week or for the next episode mm-hmm. that I think not doesn't always isn't always necessary. Um, and in this case, it was just a small thing of like I'm not not entirely sure if if the episode l- naturally fits with 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 Zuko there or does it naturally fit on a few seconds earlier and you can put the, the Zuko thing a little bit later. Um, nothing, nothing major though. Just, just kind of a small observation. Um, all right. So with that, we're gonna we're gonna wrap things up um, and get into our final thoughts, our ratings. Uh, I will read Corey's thoughts and give his rating, uh, and then we'll we'll kick it around the room for the rest of it. Um, so Corey's thoughts. Absolutely love seeing the oppress oppression of the Fire Nation in full swing. Putting them on a metal ship was an excellent detail, and you felt the helplessness of the prisoners. I love George Takei voicing the main villain, and you get a real feel of Aang's role as the Avatar here. Um, and Corey's rating was an 8.2. Um, anyone have anything to say about what Corey said? And, or if not, we'll get into our ratings. Damn, I didn't know that was George Takei. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Um, Corey is is the most uh, I'd say I'd say Corey is the biggest fan of of the like real traditional nerd type things like he's a uh, like a much bigger Star Trek fan than say any of us I, I think so um, he's the one who will get most most happy with the George Decay reference. Mm. Um, all right, so if uh, if that we will go into our our final thoughts. So Lindsay, your final thoughts and your rating. You know, in the beginning of this podcast, I, I told you guys I didn't really like it, but then I feel like um, throughout this whole entire thing, you guys kind of just reminded me of things I may have liked but didn't realize. So I'm going to say, just based off of what we have been discussing this whole time, like about the feelings that the um, episode really exposes us to and um, just a lot of the uh, storytelling that goes on, I'm going to say a 7.1. Okay. Yeah. And Charles? Hmm. I'm trying to think. I think I gave 
uh, the previous episode like an A. Uh, relative to, I mean, relative to the other episodes in Avatar, it does some stuff. It, it clearly contextualizes the world really well. Um, but at the same time, I'm always more appreciative of the episodes where, like, all of the team Avatar, all of our main characters have some, like, important role to play in context of whatever they're doing. And here it's like, I, I said at the beginning, you could, for sure you could take out Aang and nothing would change. And Sokka's there for the plans, but outside of that, didn't really contribute that, like, doesn't develop super much or anything, so... Mm -hmm. I'll give it a 7.5. Uh, I've been watching some regular TV recently, and it's really frustrating, so that might be higher than what I would have given it before. Compared to what everything regular, else you've been watching. Regular TV is pretty bad. Well, I mean, like, these scores are not just in con context to each other, because that would make it really hard to give anything a super, like, a high grade, but mm. in context to other shows and regular TV and other cartoons, and, man, compared to some other cartoons, yeah. Yeah, so I'll, I'll go with seven and a half. Okay. Um, all right. So when I initially, obviously, when I initially watched this episode, I thought this was a very average episode. Um, you know, somewhere maybe around like a six, maybe it's even a little bit lower. Um, but now I, I've come a lot higher up on the episode. And to be honest, I'm going to compare this a lot to my thoughts on Kiyoshi, um, where Kiyoshi I thought had a really great introduction with um, with Sokka, with um, Sokka and with everything, with the fight that happened and everything was so great in that, but there were some parts that really bothered me with Aang. Um, this episode, I don't think it's the same highs as it does with, with that episode, but it also, I don't think, has the same lows with, with anything that really bothered me, so I think it ended up, and it ends up being around the same, so I'm going to give it an 8.1 in the same way. Um, another episode that Aang is kind of not that important in the episode, uh, similar to, not, not that he's not important in Kyoshi, but I don't like him in Kyoshi, so... Um, that's kind of where I'm going to base it on. So I think it's, I'm going to give it an 8.1, um, yeah. which, you know, is not, it's still not the highest. I mean, obviously I don't think this episode is like anything, you know, transcendent, but it used to be significantly lower and has, and has, and has come up a lot in my mind. Um, so with that, we are going to close out this episode of Thoughts from Aunt Wu. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at AuntWu underscore pod. Uh, if you tweet us, you can ask us questions. You can also leave comments in iTunes, and we will uh, review anything like that. We will talk about them on the podcast. Um, we will be doing um, the two-parter on when we go through. Uh, I'm going to break up the Winter Solstice in uh, into two episodes. I don't think that the episodes are connected enough to warrant them being together, like, say, for the first episode yeah. um, or some of the finales. Um, so I'm going to, we're going to break them up. It's going to be two separate episodes. Um, so look for that next week, uh, as well as the week after. Um, and if anyone has anything else, uh, you guys can say it. Nah, we're good. <laughs> I, I missed being right. here. Great being back. Yeah. We Thanks. Did, we did miss you, Lindsay. We did. Thanks for taking me back. Um, I, I believe we should have a guest next week. Um, I'm not exactly sure. I have to figure out exactly when we're going to be doing our recording and stuff, but Mitchell will be here. So we should be doing, if we, when we're doing recording, we should have a guest. So we should have our first guest next week. So look forward to that. Um, and with that, we're out. 
So thanks, you guys, for listening. Bye. Bye.